Blog Talk Radio. WIJSF.com. Women in Jazz South Florida Inc. is a nonprofit educational organization that promotes women musicians globally through events, concerts, performances, clinics, lectures, workshops, articles, interviews, newsletters, courses, contacts, research, history, archives, websites, film, audio and video recordings, and recognition. Visit us at WIJSF.com. You're listening to blogtalkradio.com slash musicwoman with your host, Diva JC.
Sandra, can you hear me? I hear you Hello. fine. Great, great. How are you doing? I'm good, Joan. How about yourself? Just wonderful. I just came back from a road trip to North Carolina. Beautiful country. Beautiful. Wow, that is so nice to hear, you know, being able to move about and have a little bit of freedom. Yes, it was encouraging, to say the least. I had been on lockdown for about four months now, so, yeah, I needed to, I needed to ride out. <laughs> yeah. So I know when uh, we left. Are you near the fires? Are you near I'm the th- fires? Oh, no, not at all. Uh-huh. It's all Good. around us. It's all around us, but um, it's like more in Northern California and uh, also on the hillside. But it does still affect us in some ways with the air quality. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, listen, um, this show is going to be a little bit longer because. I I upgraded our blog talk radio, so we don't have to rush through. But I want to start where we left off, because you were, well, we had a show just for our listeners, 
we had a show earlier in the year, I think it was two months ago, and uh, you right. were talking about your life with Fela. Uh, but now I want you to talk to us about the difference in, you were in Nigeria, right? That's correct. The difference in Nigeria the first time you went and then 10 years later. Um, the first time I went to Nigeria, it was like um, culture shock. But at the same time, it was very warm. Uh, it was very welcoming. And it was different. It was totally different than anything that I had witnessed or even experienced here in the U.S. Um, and then, you know, to see or be in a place where black people are the ones in power everywhere. Um, when it came to government or uh, the city, it's all being run by black people. So that in itself was, you know, it was just different. Um, having been born in America and only knowing the American way to see something different and experience something different is something that all black people should experience because it was a, a uh, a feeling of freedom uh, that I'd never had. And the way the people welcomed me, um, you just couldn't do anything but uh, fall in love with Africa. You know, and that's what Akon always says, you know, we need to 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 come back home. And I recommend every black American should experience what it's like to be in the motherland. Although we're not, as some of us are not as fortunate to find out exactly where in the motherland our ancestors were taken from, but um, it's just a good feeling just to be on the continent and seeing something different to be able to smell, touch, and experience something different. The music, the food, oh, my goodness. The clothing, the lifestyle, it's just different. So it was an adventure for me. That okay, was, but, uh, you know, different doesn't tell us anything. You were there. Be elaborate. Right. You know, be exact. What are you talking about? What the clothes were made out of cardboard? What would the you know be oh, oh no, no, the clothes were made from beautiful hand woven cloth, cloth that had been woven by hand, dyed by hand, and from the earth to go into a market. The markets were not like going into, say, a Kroger market or um, Wiggly Piggly, the markets were open where um, farmers 
would bring in their fresh produce or their livestock, and you would buy directly from the, the farmers food that was organically grown, that was not full of GMOs, um, things that were not processed. So that is why I say the smells of the, the, the earth, you know, to be near earth so close. You know, they had these storms that would be there and the rain. You would see it and smell it before it arrived. You know, to see the herdsmen coming from the north, bringing their cattle to market or their goats to market. And to see this, you live very close to nature. And to see, I would call them the water people, people that lived on the water. They build their rafts and they build their homes on the water. They live very close to nature. This was all new to me. I've only seen buildings and constructions, never been in an environment where people were building their own homes from scratch. And that either, you know, uh, it could be like a mud hut with a tin roof, having to live totally off the land. That was in itself, that was different for me. Um, Okay, now what was different between the first time you went and the second time you went? Well, the second time I went, which was, let me see, about maybe six years later, when I went six years later, the fella that introduced me to Nigeria originally was now a superstar on his way to becoming an icon. So going back a second time, I go back and now I'm living at the family compound, but it is no longer the family compound. It is now called the Calicuta Republic, where Fella had set up his own government and commune within the country of Nigeria. So within that compound, it was like many, many people living there. It was over 100 people living in that compound. And it was like everyone there had a job. It was like a a giant co-op. Everybody had a job, and uh, it was like Salam employed them all. And it was something to behold because it was music 24-7. People were happy, and it was also a place where people could come and learn about the outside world, meaning the Western world. And the Western world was coming there to Fela to learn more about him, his music, and 
what made these things. So that was what was different about the second time around. Now I'm in a country with a superstar. I'm no longer an illegal alien in the country because the first time I went, I was an illegal alien. And now the second time that I went, it's now uh, government, rather than army rule, it's, um, they have a president now. And it was just another beautiful experience. <laughs> and how were you accepted by the Nigerian women? Um, actually, they love me because I, I was bringing something different table. And I say they love me because they love Stella and they loved the direction that Stella was going in and the knowledge that he was bringing to the country. Okay. Did, were any of them his wives? In 1976, they were not his wives. It wasn't until, mm, I would say it was after 1976, after the destruction of Calicuta, uh, I think it was in 1977 when they, they did the... Um, the destruction of Calicuta, the government came in and burned it down under Obasaja and Buhari. That's when the property was destroyed. So I'm thinking sometime around maybe 77, 78, 79 is when he married all of the women, all of the wives. What do you mean all? And How many did he marry? 27. It was he married twenty seven women in one day. What? Explain yeah. that to me. Well, see, it's a cultural difference. In America, we believe in monogamy. Unless you happen to be a Mormon and then if you're Mormon then you you know, you you know it's it's permissible to have multiple wives in the Mormon religion and also in the Muslim religion, um, a man can have multiple wives or, uh, as Fella said, a man can have as many wives as he can afford to keep. So he could afford all 27 plus. So... And then that was another reason. Another reason why he married them all was because they were speaking ill of the women, calling them prostitutes, um, um, all types of derogatory things were being said about these women. So one of the things Stella wanted to make clear was, no, these women are not prostitutes. And to make you aware and to bring respect to these women, I'm I'm marrying them all at one time, and that's what he did. Hmm, that's interesting. 
That's, that's very, what about the children? How many children came out of that? Uh, actually, um, there was only three outside of the original marriage to the first wife. The first wife had three children, which was Yeni, Femi, and Sola. And on the outside, he had three children. One was with Yameri, and his name is Kunle. Um, he had a child with Sintola and Najite. So with Sintola, he had a son, and that's Sheunkuti. And with Najite, he had um, Moturaya. And we call her Motu. Now, were you one of the wives? No, I was not a wife. I um, just remember, I'm an American born under an American culture and uh, with a monogamous upbringing. So, I mean, not to say that it couldn't be done here in America because one of the things that I noticed, um, especially of late, is that a lot of American women don't mind being in uh, multiple marriage situations. And I've seen it all. I've seen the doctors, the lawyers, I mean, American-born, accepting of this type of, I would say, communal wife or multiple wife situation, or what do they call it, polygamy. So there are plenty of women that are accepting of this. So, you know, you live and you learn. It's just um, that was not for me. Right. I don't like sharing. (laughs) Now, Mm -hmm. uh, you say, you know, because we're music woman, did any of the women participate on instruments? Not just singing and dancing. Did any of the women play instruments? None of the women that um, was in the house at Calicuta that I'm aware of, none of them played instruments. Um, They were solely there as dancers, singers, DJs um, in the house, uh, those that ran the house. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So music is primarily a male activity? I would say yes. Now, um in Nigeria, you have a, a a change that's taking place, like with Asha and Neka. Uh, these are women that are entertainers at the same time. They're musicians, too. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Okay, so what was the length of time that you stayed both times you went? 
Uh, the first time I was in Nigeria, I was there for approximately, I would say, seven or eight months. The first time. When I went back the second time, I was there for three months. And when I went, when I returned in, I think it was 81, 82, that was another two or three months. And then I did not return until 2015, which was another Oh, no, I take that back. I returned in, um, uh, I think it was 2000, around 2006, when I went, um, then I went because my husband was um, audio engineer with Snoop Dogg, and um, the they were doing this big American concert there in Nigeria, it was the first time I had known uh, the Nigerian, uh, I, I, I think, it, I want to say his name. I, I don't know his name, but I know he had the newspaper. And it was a big concert of American artists that was brought to Nigeria to perform for the elite. Mm-hmm. And... Um, um, that was, yeah, around 2006 I, when I went with my husband, who, like I said, was the audio engineer for Snoop Dogg at that time. Ah, uh, okay. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. And I just wanted to have that experience to see what it was like then. And once again, it was another beautiful experience another learning lesson, and from that experience is when I wrote the song Nigeria because I saw that, yes, even though the facade had changed, as far as the government was concerned and and the people, the divide had grown even wider. Mm. And that part was very shocking to me. Because usually you expect growth and development, and that's what I thought I would see. But, yeah, you know, they had a few more highways, and they had a few more buildings. But basically the interior and the divide between the rich and the poor had grown even wider. Now there's corruption in the country. And the corruption starts at the top, and it trickles down to the bottom. So Nigeria is not an easy country for um, Nigerians to live in. And that's uh, another reason why I see a lot of the scholars are those that have been blessed with earning their masters and PhDs in England and or Europe and in America why they a lot of them choose not to go back and then a few um, I, I happen to know maybe two that have gone back who came studied here educated and then went back to the country 
but um, most, unless they happen to be born with a silver spoon, meaning that they have dual citizenship, where they're either living in England and 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 America or um, you know in in Nigeria, they they tend to go back and forth frequently. Or those that hold that have studied here and hold government jobs over there. Uh huh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, um, I was in the Gambia. My husband was from Gambia. I met him in Switzerland. Uh-huh. And mm-hmm. then after four years of marriage, I went to the Gambia. But I went on a press tour because I used to write for a uh-huh. travel magazine. And uh-huh. I had a really wonderful time. You know, we we went to Ghana. <clears throat> and to the Gambia, but I had gone to Johannesburg, um, let's see, no, I went to Johannesburg later, it wasn't, no, it was after, and I found Johannesburg to be a metropolis, you know, I didn't find Uh Ghana and the Gambia to be very metropolitan. You know, so Lagos. Well, you know why is that is. <laughs> I said, you know why that is. If you were in South Africa in Johannesburg, you know that was you had a lot of white settlers there that you know basically took over the country. That's that's, that's the difference. Right, but you know, I'm still. And 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 Eddie and I have this conversation almost every week. I just am appalled at how 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 unprogressive you know so many African countries are. I mean, Namibia is supposed to be very beautiful. Rwanda is supposed to have sprung back from the massacres, and yet Nigeria is going backwards. That the the um, Muslims are hacking Christians to death. You know, and yeah. what what my question is: if if this is the cradle of civilization. Why? I understand the colonialism thoroughly. So you're saying that the intellects, they get out, they go to Europe, America, Canada, and they never go back. So they don't go back to move their people forward. Is that well, it's Well, well, that's what we see. I know they would like to go back, but the hardship that they have to contend with and deal with in their country. Um, In Nigeria, just the roads, the roads are bad. Um, 
you're dealing with a electrical situation that's bad. Mm. Um, you're dealing with a traffic situation that's bad. You you're dealing with a sanitation system that's bad. And you're dealing with a government that's bad. A government that comes into power and they come in and they see being in that position as a piggy bank. So mm. if mm. and then greed. Greed is bad because mm. When you have, okay, you have all these riches in your country, but you do not have the mindset or the education to administer your country. So when you have an outsider like China coming in, and offering you deals that flash money in front of your face. Well, if you've never had it, and all of a sudden you you get it, or you have an opportunity to get it, um, you have a tendency, if you haven't been educated, you'll sign a bad deal, not knowing the value of what you have. And in many cases, this is what has happened in Nigeria. They have signed bad deals with a lot of exploitive governments that have come in and just taken full advantage of the country. You know, just like what's going on in, in what, Kenya, Ghana, well, not so much Ghana, but Kenya and um, Nigeria now. Um, and even under the Obama administration, um, they were able, the U.S., was able to go in and set up a bunch of military bases, even more. I understand that there were some there before, but now it's even more. So um, it's not like Nigeria isn't a rich country. It's very rich in resources, actually the whole continent of Africa. And I would say it's the last frontier because the rest of the world needs Africa for survival. Right. right now, right now you and I are using computers and cell phones. Well, one of the main minerals for having a, a, a computer or a cell phone is Coltan, and Coltan is coming out of Africa, and mm -hmm. you have children being exploited, and you have a government <laughs> that's basically giving everything away. Even you know the the um, even though Nigeria is oil rich and has one of the finest crude oils. They don't refine anything there. They ship it out, let other people refine it for them, Shell, BP, Chevron. They ship it out, and then they buy it back at exploitive prices. So, I mean, it's almost like the people can never get ahead. 
and they keep playing into it. No, but it's, I mean, it's shameful, it's real, but, you know, no matter where you go in this world, black people are always at the bottom of the rung because we have been exploited from the beginning with our riches and our generosity. You know, we've always been welcoming, you know, just like the American Indians, you know. Welcome, come on in. And then those people that you welcome and bring into your environment are the people that's trying to kill you, exploit you, and take everything from you. Well, I mean, what I don't, I just cannot get my head wrapped around why these men do not protect their children and their women. Greed, 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 tribalism, and religion. Those three things um, have inundated Africa. Some of the rulers, and there's, um, well, I'll say that Africa has very few leaders. Africa has a whole lot of rulers. And those rulers are the ones that are holding the people down. And, you know, as I've gotten older and as I've come to see the the exploitation that and the back deals that are done when people get in political power, it's like, uh, okay, you do this deal for me, and uh, I can make this over here happen for you. Um, that's that's how it's done. One hand washes the other, and the more I live and learn, the more I realize that it's very difficult for me to trust a politician, even when you think he's there or she's there for the good. A lot of politicians go into office. Some of them go in, and they're not millionaires, but when they come out, they are multimillionaires, and that's because of the deals and and the corruption that's there. And I have to add this, too. Um, Soon World has been the teacher to the puppets that they put in place about greed and corruption, putting family members in place. Um, you you put a family member, and I'm, this isn't a, a uh, I'm just using this as an example. You have a family member um, that once you become a government official um, with a fourth grade education, and you have a family member that needs to be taken care of, and they need someone to teach the children in the school, and the family member that you may 
appoint as the principal of the school uh, has a second grade education. Mm. Things like that happen. Yeah, things like that uh, happen. I know those are some extreme examples that I've given, but I'm just saying these things so you can get the gist of what's really happening over there. And then not only that, it's also a place where bribery still exists. You know, um, when I first went there, you can buy anything. You can buy a citizenship, a passport. You can buy whatever you need because mm. you have someone that's willing to sell it to you. And, and like I said, the very first time I went to Nigeria, I went into the country as an illegal alien. And I stayed there for that seven, eight, nine months that I was there as an illegal alien because of the connections that Stella had. They always said, okay, the government officials will be coming here. So they knew, okay, well, she can't be here, she can't be there. So he moved me all over Nigeria. Not only did he move me all over Nigeria, but also left the country, um, went to Ghana, did some shows in Ghana, and then came back, and then after coming back, that was the first time Then I left. But um, things are done loosely over there. It's who you know and who you're connected with, how you get things done. Uh. Well, I'm just, I, I, I listen to Eddie, and, you know, he tells me the stories, and then, you know, I, I'm a member of a African study group, uh-huh. and, you know, we, uh, we talk about this, we read books about it, but being there is a different thing. And it's just really baffling. Eddie insists that it is African-Americans that can make change in Africa. But having been there, I can't see it. You know, I just, I don't have that vision to see it, you know. Can agree with Eddie um, because what's happening? A lot of the Africans that are in the Western world, they are seeing the difference. Just like Omoyele Shiwore, who just recently ran for president in Nigeria, but of course, you know, it was another corrupt election where um, I I saw where ballots were uh, destroyed, uh, where people going to the polling place were threatened. I saw the, the violence. So Nigeria or other parts, other countries in Africa, it's not easy. It's not like, you know, we we don't have the best 
uh, I would say, you know, political parties here. But I would say our system is a lot better. You know, our checks and balances are a lot better. You can go to jail here. Over there, you can buy your way out of anything. That has been the situation. So it's it's difficult for the people. And you can only have compassion and pray. But I'm with Eddie. I wouldn't necessarily say it's the Americans that will make the change unless they're uh, real African Americans, meaning that, They were born on the continent of Africa, reared on the continent of Africa, grew up and 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 had um, understood their culture before they left and lived in a Western world. Once you go and live in a Western world, then you have a comparative base to say, um, why 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 how how come I can't just turn on the lights and the lights come on? Why can't, why aren't our roads as nice? Although the money's there, what happened to the money? How come we don't have housing? Right. Good medical. Why don't we have good medical? Why do we have food shortages? And, I mean, it's almost like no rules, no law. But beyond that, there is no respect for women and children. There's just yeah, no well, um, here's another thing. There are no benefits. Social services, I mean, that, that, that doesn't happen. And you're, you're talking about a young generation. Um. I would say the average age is what, 35, between 35 and 45 years of age. Very young population. There are no services for the disabled, the elderly, um, or huh, homeless. Huh. None of that. And, and it's you know, that was one of the things when I was there the last time that I wanted to address. But they don't have those services. And then not only do they not have those services, well, women too, they have very little or no value at all. Right. And if you don't value, so, if you don't value the person you don't value the people that come into the world. You know, I, well, I, it's very to me. It's especially if it's a female. Females, for whatever reason, have less value than males. Um, well, men don't not, bring men don't bring people into the world. Okay, men succeed. For it, but they do not. So until Africans begin to respect women, 
You understand? Yeah. There yeah. won't be any. There won't be any progress. It won't exist. And they have to uh, uh, cherish their women and their children, and they don't. Well, they cherish money, power. Joan, the woman has, you know, it's more or less, you do what I say. And believe it or not, a lot of the women are the ones running the business. I mean, the, you know, like the food sellers. I mean, the women are the hustlers. The women are the ones that keep it going. And then, you know, if if the woman is fortunate enough, and that's why I guess that's another thing that's so acceptable, that, um, you know, if you don't have an education, you're totally dependent upon the man for housing, food, and clothing. Mm. Like I said, it's not for everybody. It certainly wasn't for me, even though my situation was different. You know, um, that was um, when I went to Nigeria the first time, my situation was different. I was in love with a man, and once I found out he had a wife and three girlfriends, women, no, a wife and two girlfriends, I was like, I don't think I can handle this, and I knew I couldn't. So it took me years to get over it, but I did, and I'm thankful that, you know, I met the perfect man for me. God gave me the perfect man, and that's Byron McNeese. Um, And, you know, we've created a beautiful life for ourselves. And he actually, you know, it, it, it the full circle is beautiful because the very first really good gig that he he got doing audio for a live band, it was Fellas Egypt 80. Mm-hmm. And he went on the road and, tour- and toured with Fella. And, you know, and here's another thing. The American, especially the American... I want to say the American Negro, they have a problem with overstanding how it is that I had a past before I met my husband and my past, no matter where I go, my past is there because, like I said, I influenced an icon. And do you know that Some of these people, and just recently, I had a doctor because a news article was um, came out about what I had said about this political race that we're in now, and um, it was because of that heading and the dialogue that I had with this journalist that he went ahead and he printed it, but then in the print he said X lover. Well, here's this doctor in Texas that's a close friend, and he wanted to know, well, how come he had to say ex-lover? I said, I don't know, but 
the thing of it is, is that that is a part of my past. So, mm-hmm. why? I mean, being that it's a part of my past and a very relevant part of my past, how do I negate that? Do you deny relationships that you've had prior to meeting your wife and her, the relationships she had before you, what you guys don't discuss that? Your minds are not mature enough to deal with it? Mm. Do you see what I'm saying? Yes, sure. Joan. It would be very ignorant if my husband and I were operating on a low level because, like I said, my husband is an audio engineer. He's out on the road, an audio engineer. I remember when he was on the Lilith tour. That was with Beyonce and Eve. It was all women. Uh, and Queen Latifah, all women, he was on tour with them. What kind of person would I have been if I was like, oh, oh, uh, it's all women. Oh, I can't do this. That would be blocking my blessings, wouldn't it? Of course. So, you know, whatever American men that are out there that's listening to this conversation between you and I, Dr. Cartwright, they should know that they need to elevate because, you know, that's another thing, another reason why I was never jealous of Fella and his multiple uh, girlfriends, wives, concubines. Why I was never, well, I did feel some kind of way, but I would never have been one of those foolish women that would have tried to impede that because it's the voice of all those women that helped to elevate Fella to the icon status. Well, we're at the end of this show again. <laughs> and yeah. I, I could talk to you for hours, and I love recording it, you know. But listen, uh-huh. let's keep talking, okay? And I really would love for you to join my organization, Women in Jazz South Florida, because we're about to do some really interesting things. So if you find it in your heart to do so, go to WIJSF.org and join us. Other than that, yeah. stay in touch. Yeah, okay. I intend to, to be, you know, uh, I had already planned to become a part of the organization, but things got kind of crazy, and I, you know, you know how life is, with this, especially now, things just blow up. Because I really wanted to speak to you about even promoting my book further here in America, my book, Fella and Me, which right now the only way anyone can get copies of it is to go to SandraIsador.com to my store and purchase it like that. Um, Since this pandemic happened, all the plans that we had for the book tour and all that, none of that was able to manifest. So, yes, Joan, I look forward to speaking with you and being a com- becoming a part of your organization. And it's been really great speaking with you today. So look to hear from me soon. 
on the joining. All right? Okay. And off the record, I'm going to call you because I want to discuss something with you. Okay? Oh, okay. So maybe uh, later today because um, I'm getting ready to go into a meeting. So maybe later on today or tomorrow we can talk. Okay. Perfect. Take care, and Just thank you for having call. me. Yeah, give me a call because I'm free, okay? All right, have a wonderful weekend. You too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. WIJSF.com, Women in Jazz, South Florida, Inc., is a nonprofit educational organization that promotes women musicians globally through events, concerts, performances, clinics, lectures, workshops, articles, interviews, newsletters, courses, contacts, research, history, archives, websites, film, audio and video recordings, and recognition. Visit us at wijsf.com. You're listening to blogtalkradio.com slash musicwoman with your host, Diva JC. I'm traveling live. Because my man is gone So from now on I'm traveling life He 